0: Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 35 of Artificially Intelligent Marketing. Paul Avery here guiding you through everything you need to know in the worlds of AI, tech and marketing. And I am joined by the smartest AI person on the planet, my co-host, Martin Broadhurst. How are you, Martin?
1: I'm delighted to be back in the studio with you after your break. It feels like it's been uh, forever since we've sat down and discussed things AI related. A lot has happened and uh, the fact that we've not had a chance to discuss it is quite frankly, shocking. To be honest, I thought you'd abandoned me and uh, just got sick and tired of my voice. So in the intervening weeks while you've been away, I've put a lot of hard effort into completely reworking my voice. So much so that now, I am in fact, a confident older woman,
0: described by 11 loves as Cecile, who is confident and strict. Just the way you like it, Paul. Uh, it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I can tell much of a difference, honestly. Ah, no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. That, um, that tool is fairly interesting, isn't it? That, like, revoicer tool. Mm, so, yeah. clearly, you've been having
1: a good play with that. Yeah, 11Lab speech synthesis. So, previously, it was a text-to-speech tool. So, you typed in the text, and you got a, uh, an audio version of what you typed in but now you can just say the words and it will turn that speech with your intonation exactly as you said it into the ai generated voice it's really quite impressive yeah
0: that's crazy it's um i can't wait until i can basically like speak and be darth Vader. that'd be pretty cool (laughs) um that can't be far away especially given i've seen um i don't know if you've seen on the twitter sphere the example where someone's using the apis of gpt4 vision and Eleven Labs to basically have David Attenborough uh, narrate on their life, (laughs) which is quite interesting. Um, So obviously that's a voice clone of a specific person. I should state Eleven Labs doesn't offer David Attenborough as a voice. Somebody was flirting with... um, ip and and uh, copyright laws by taking a sample of david attenborough's (laughs) voice and using it to train the the voice they wanted but um yeah and i should also say for you dear listener it would be very cool if martin was able to speak into the system and it was able to sort of change his voice in real time but of course we did that in the edit because martin recorded it separately um but it's still a very impressive tool nonetheless um there is so much to get through Today Martin, should we jump on into the first story?
1: Yeah, this one feels very timely. ChatGPT, everybody's favorite chatbot, has turned 1 on 30th of November. ChatGPT received its first birthday cake with one little candle on it. It's been quite the year. So just to give you a, a few headlines from the past 12 months Paul, because I know that um You've not really been paying attention have you really it's just kind of passed you by i'm what sure i
0: think what was it what do you call G- it chat ch- chat what
1: gpt it's from a company called open ai keep keep your eye out you'll see them in the press cool cool um <laughs> um so they reached 100 million users in two months after its launch in november 2022 which uh just for comparison facebook took four years to reach 100 million users snapchat myspace took three years instagram two years and Google took almost a year to reach 100 million users so its rise was pretty phenomenal achieving that in just two months. Um, What's quite interesting when you look back at November 30th 2022 is that they originally released it as a free research preview and because all of the OpenAI team had been playing around with this tech for so long they'd become a little bit blasé to the fact that (laughs) being able to do it back and forth conversation with memory and all of the stuff that we know ChatGPT gpt has compared to just the old instruct model they'd kind of taken it for granted and hadn't thought about the the absolute um sensation that it was going to be so it really caught them by surprise so it launched in november uh, chat gpt plus was announced in february uh, shortly after that, a week later, Microsoft announced that ChatGPT would be powering some features in Bing. Uh, in March, we saw the launch of, or the announcement of GPT-4. We didn't get vision till a few months later, of course. Uh, our first major ChatGPT outage was on the 20th of March uh, earlier this year. That, I think that was the first time I realized just how dependent I was on it to get through the day, hmm. uh, and then the following day, Google launched Bard. Coincidence? Hmm. It's a conspiracy there, Paul. <laughs> it's not for us to say, Martin. But yes, please go dig deep, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, at the end of March, Italy banned ChatGPT. A month later, they uh, they allowed service to resume in may they launched the ios app which um as an android user was a great frustration because i didn't get it uh, until the end of july uh what else happened in that time oh yes yeah, so they uh, this there was the senate subcommittee hearing on ai oversight uh, because the the sensation that was chat gpt had caused a lot of people to uh be scared about the potential of AI. So Sam Altman was hauled in front of uh, the US Senate to explain the existential threat that we all face. Uh, In November, OpenAI announced the new voice and image capabilities of ChatGPT. And then we had OpenAI Dev Day, where they announced GPT-4 Turbo, Assistance API, and DALI-3 API. Oh, and then... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was that small issue of Sam Altman being fired as CEO of OpenAI. So what has been
0: way to uh, spend your birthday. <laughs> yeah.
1: Happy birthday to you. Yeah, it's been
0: quite a year. It's quite amazing when you think back and how quickly it developed. Um, I, Ethan Mollock, as the regular listeners to the podcast will we know, one of, we're a fan of, of Ethan's work spends a lot of time tracking what's going on with different AI tools, but especially OpenAI's tools. And he was sort of reminiscing on how amazing GPT-3 was when it came out compared to GPT-2. And then, of course, the step change again that came with GPT-4. And it is very easy to forget how much progress has been made in the year. I keep seeing online statements like, this is what exponential change feels like. Ironically, I don't personally feel the speed of exponential change when it comes to ChatGPT and text-based chatbots at this point. If I'm really honest, it feels more incremental. I'm mostly feeling the speed of exponential change in video, which we'll probably talk a bit about later because that feels like there's some massive leaps being made there. So I don't know if we made made our leaps this year with text-based sort of bots and... There's, so many, there's some significant problems still to solve, aren't there, around hallucinations and multi-step agents that can actually deliver on those multi-step tasks. I guess if we if we do see significant improvements in either of those areas next year, that will probably be
1: another pretty big leap, wouldn't it? It would, and, and I, I think we're all expecting some interesting developments from OpenAI and their, their next models, particularly uh, after... Sam Altman was reinstated as CEO this week, and he gave an interview to The Verge where um, they touched on uh, some of the reasons why he might have been fired and some of the potential new technologies. Um, what have you read about that?
0: Yeah, the so we had a bit of a WhatsApp back and forward on this one, didn't we? The I think there's a number of different aspects. One of the stories you shared with me, I think will end up being true, which is it's actually quite simple, Sort of tension between the not for profit side of OpenAI and the profit side for OpenAI, and which of and what the balance is there, and how Sam Altman is leading the organization against those. But the one that was maybe a bit more intriguing was QStar, which, um, if you're an AI nerd, your Twitter and LinkedIn feed would have been full of this because the speculation is and was super rife the minute it came out. And this is born out of a letter sent by a couple of OpenAI employees to i think it was forbes um, detailing that the major falling out was because of a spectacular new improvement in one of the models that um that they've been working on internally at OpenAI, which would allow either chat gpt or some other similar tool to basically reason more logically and perform things like mathematical reasoning um which, on the face of it, especially the example that was given is that it could do maths at a grade school level, which doesn't sound that impressive, but when you think about how these tools work, they, they don't reason at all at the moment, they just predict what, ne- what should be the next word they should output based on all the other words that came before and all the words in the context of the prompt. So to be able to actually do mathematical reasoning gives them a better understanding of the world and the, therefore the, um, a better ability to like plan and take actions, which, of course, if you want multi-step agents, which is where some of the real power is going to lie in these tools, I think, then you do need that. There's been so much speculation that that's actually all a bunch of you know baloney. and But what was interesting is that in the most recent interview by Sam Altman, when that was brought up, he he described it as an unfortunate leak but he didn't deny it um did he not deny it because he needs the buzz around open ai and you know they're they're doing a are they doing a stock offering or something they've got something coming up haven't they financially motivated where elevating the company's value as high as possible is not necessarily important for him because he's not a direct investor but it will be important for the staff so is he keeping the buzz around this q star high so that they can uh, get the highest valuation of that neck as part of that process or is there and, and it's not true but he just wants us all to think it's true, which is why I didn't deny it. Or is it true? And that's why I didn't deny it. And the answer, dear listener, is we do
1: not know. He's a great salesman, isn't he? And that's one of the things that he's really well known for. He can get people to buy into him and, and basically throw money at him. That's one thing that he's exceptionally good at, as evidenced by the fact that Microsoft chucked 10 billion at OpenAI uh, a few years ago. So, yeah, I think uh, maybe there's a little bit of of gamesmanship here. Keep the story going. Uh, But the fact that he didn't just outright deny it, whereas in the past, things like GPT-5, for instance, it wasn't that long ago where he spoke about, no, we're not working on GPT-5. He did cut discussions of that down. He has subsequently said they are working on those models now. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, that's the thing with Sam... Um, and Imad Mustak, as well as Stability AI and a number of the CEOs of these companies they they have to fuel the hype train because that's where the valuations come from so it ends up being really really hard to try and sort out the signal from the noise in what they say Um, I really because I'm a bit of a tech optimist I really end up hoping that some of the things that come out in terms of the improvements that are being made end up being real because I think it makes the tools more powerful for us and personally I hope for a world where all of the efficiency gains provided by AI basically are used to make life better for everyone maybe people can work less you know three day weeks enabled by AI for example so I'm really excited for all of these technological things to be real but at the back of my head the little alarm's always going yeah but it does serve their purpose in terms of the valuations of their companies to keep that hype train going so you can't really
1: tell in terms of uh the first birthday of chat gpt I'm, I'm wondering since gpt4 turbo was rolled out across the platform have you noticed any performance difference and the reason i ask this is because and we may have discussed it on the previous episode but Um, This week I saw a discussion on Twitter that was talking specifically about its coding capabilities and how it seems to have been clipped in terms of its ability to write long pieces of code. It can work with small snippets, but it previously could write really quite extensive bits of script. And that seems to have been, it's as if it's had its wings clipped in, in that domain, I've certainly encountered this yesterday. I was trying to get it to do some relatively simple calculations. I asked it to, to do it using code interpreter and it continuously failed. It failed about six times. And in the end, I just couldn't get it to, to work. Whereas I feel like a few weeks ago, or maybe, you know, pre GPT four turbo, that wouldn't have been the case. Have you found anything similar? The short answer
0: is yes. Um, So I'm, I'm using Dorley a lot at the moment and at the moment I'm struggling to get photorealistic images out of it so I don't know if they've dialed that down or I'm not pushing and prompting hard enough but the photorealistic images I'm getting now versus when it first came out are worse and they're making me think oh I'm gonna have to reactivate my mid-journey subscription um so I'm definitely seeing that um I was on a webinar yesterday presenting about AI and sales and a good friend of mine um nick claire over at succession buyer shout out to nick and harrison was talking about an application he was working on where in the end he couldn't get gpt4 to do it so he switched to gpt 3.5 and got a better outcome in terms of the output which i think is quite interesting um the gpts as a slight aside that i've been building i haven't been super impressed with they're kind of like a slightly glossier version of gpt4 i i would hazard to think i could get the same out with just a half decent prompt in gpt4 i'm not playing with anything super sophisticated like trying to use data connectors or anything the tests i've run on that have been extremely glitchy and unreliable anyway to be honest so yeah look they're they're tweaking the models one of the things i haven't had a chance to test yet is if we're on gpt4 turbo now have you been leveraging the context window is that it's
1: definitely the context window has definitely expanded Uh, yeah without doubt i'm I actually haven't hit the limit with it yet. And I've been throwing in some decent sized text that absolutely categorically would have hit the limits previously. I haven't pushed the boundaries though. In fact, I find it incredibly hard to to max out a context window at 128,000 tokens or even, you know, it's it's quite hard to put in a prompt that's even 50,000 tokens.
0: Yeah, it's so I, I my go to test, which is not proving useful, is to just keep asking ChatGPT what its context window is, and it just keeps telling me two thousand tokens. So obviously, um, I'm not I'm not pushing it right. The I haven't tested it because of our next story, which is the release of Claude two point one. So regular listeners to the podcast will know Claude is a model that's released by the company Anthropic, which has a bunch of ex OpenAI folks within it. And it's another chatbot like um, ChatGPT. But the difference always with Claude was its context window was massive compared to ChatGPT's context window, which is now itself massive. So Claude needed to one up the introduction of the 128k context window for ChatGPT. And with their 200,000 token context window, which you now get in Claude 2.1, so obviously you can. Uh, upload pdfs multiple pdfs the equivalent to over 500 pages of text and start asking questions of the text ask for summaries of the text etc etc um, which is massively beneficial for processing you know documents like entire code bases or massive financial reports or you know anything else you can think of that's a big document that you'd want to interrogate really The other thing that they've done with Claude 2.1 Martin is they've introduced this reduction in hallucinations. They claim that you get a two times decrease in false statements, um, which of course is important for all of us because when you're interrogating large documents, you need to be able to trust that the outputs you're gonna get, you can rely on. A lot of that's being driven by Claude saying that it's not willing to answer. Um, But honestly, I'd rather have that than inaccuracies and untruths. So I think that really helps. They've also done some interesting stuff for developers, haven't they, Mike? Do you know what they've done with the? They've done some stuff with the console and changed how developers interact with it.
1: Yeah. So if you uh, are using it through the API, you've got an API and developer account. They've introduced something called Workbench, which is effectively like OpenAI's playground, where you have a bit more control over the, the system. And actually, one of the things that they've introduced is the ability to system prompt. So in the same way that you can with ChatGPT and assistance, where you can say, this is your role, and this is how you will respond. And for the whole of this conversation, these are your rules, basically. uh, You can now do that within the workbench. They've also um, extended its functionality, basically giving it function calling. Uh, So they're enabling it to, to call upon APIs from external Uh, All of this at the moment still requires developers to uh, request API access. So you might be able to get a uh, developer account, but you'll be limited on the number of API calls that you can make. And if you want to actually roll this out into production, you actually have to request that from Anthropic for them to uh, de-restrict your account. But yeah, some definite um, advancements for developers. And I've been playing around with uh, these tools a bit going back to my previous point, it's really hard (laughs) to to fill a context window. 200,000 tokens is a lot. I went back looking through my API usage over the past month. And in early November, there was one day where I had a really heavy usage day. I think I was working with quite a lot of transcripts. It might have even been podcast episode transcripts. And within one conversation, I was throwing in Lots and lots of transcripts. Bearing in mind, each episode is, you know, about an hour's worth of conversation, right? And you can see how many input tokens and how many completion tokens you get. So you can see that in your API log. On that day where I was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, at no point did my input tokens go above 90,000. It's a huge amount of text to, to put in. Two hundred thousand tokens in a prompt. It's, it's, mm. it's just it's, it's a lot to get there.
0: I think you're right. It's impressive. I think it's an impressive technical feat. But we're probably at a hundred thousand, and certainly two hundred thousand tokens for a lot of for like ninety eight percent of use cases. We're probably tapping out at terms of what would you really need it for? I'm like you. I use it a lot for transcripts. um And what was interesting, so. Listeners will know I use a tool called Magi, M-A-G-A-I. Uh, the website is Magai.co because I don't trust putting sensitive data into Claude directly or ChatGPT directly. But when you're using the API, you can have a bit more confidence. And Magi now has access to Claude 2.1. The transcript summaries are. I feel significantly better in 2.1 than 2 like the things that it's missing it's just not missing them as much and its summaries are really spot on and I gave it an incredibly hard task yesterday I recorded uh, an onboarding video for a member of my team and then I wanted to summarize it in an email so I pulled the transcript out and dropped it into Claude via Magi and I got a summary and all of that was great during that handover meeting I'm describing what I think the kickoff call for the client should contain but in an extremely sporadic fashion like it's a 30 minute intro uh, onboarding call and at one point I'll be like oh we should put that in the kickoff call and then I talk for a bit more and then I'm like and in the kickoff call we should do this so I asked Claude to build the agenda for the kickoff call by trying to like pull some reason out of my ramblings and it did a surprisingly good job it included some things that it thought the kickoff call should have based on its understanding of the transcript so in other words it didn't just focus on the things i specifically called out but it did include all the things i specifically called out and i can't help but feel claude 2.0 wasn't as wasn't strong enough to do that like it would struggle just accurately summarizing a transcript at times for me so yeah, I've got a bit of love. I know you've always had a bit of Claude love in your life, Martin, but I've got a bit of Claude 2.1 love going on, if I'm honest. And with that API access, because now it's going to be able to call databases, it's going to be able to search the web with web search APIs. Mm, I, th- I think this could be an interesting time for Claude.
1: Well, oh, it's a pleasure to have you on board.
0: <laughs> i'm in team claude i need to get my i would use doorly three to create a photorealistic of ima, image of a person wearing a t-shirt that says i i'm team claude but it can't do photorealistic images for me anymore so i won't bother um but it can do text ah just give me one image generation tool that could do all the things i want mid journey doorly three go out for a drink see if you get on well because i think your babies would be outstanding tools for us all to use um with that <laughs> With that image that nobody needed. Should we move on to our next story, Mike? Uh,
1: Yeah. So this was a a story that caught a lot of buzz on the Twitters. And it's all about an AI-enabled SEO heist. Uh, Someone called Jake Ward said that they had uh, effectively managed to use AI to steal 3.6 million hits uh, by generating 1,800 articles in a process where they basically uh, used AI to, uh, well, scraped a competitor's website and then used AI to spin that content programmatically. They automated the entire process. It took them a few hours rather than many weeks. And then they published all of these articles online, next thing you know 1800 articles and the traffic he shared it in a tweet um the the graph is just going up and to the right in terms of website visitors Um, and it caused understandably a little bit of controversy because this was uh self-described by jake ward as theft right (laughs) he managed to steal the traffic so lots of people were saying you know is this fair is this something that google should be clamping down on um i think google's helpful content update recently uh, will probably see companies getting away with this less and less but um yeah certainly some ethical questions here like where are the where are the boundaries just because you can do it should you do it
0: Mm, that's a great question but unfortunately you're back to the one percent because 99 percent of people might say mm, I, i'm that's too black cat for me i'm not i'm not in on that but it only takes the one percent to do it and the web is full of duplicate junk that is the the if you know the equivalent of content farms of old um and It makes the web a much harder place to go find relevant information. And we've talked about this quite a lot, right, in terms of how does SEO change, not only as search experience changes with um, Bing and Google basically using generative AI to create written summaries in the search output, so you may never click on the link to go to someone's page, but also just junk. Um, There is a, I I think, what's the guy's name? I think it's Doug Kessler. Um, there was a seminal sort of ebook presentation thing he did in maybe 10, 12 years ago called Crap. And it was the deluge of crap content in a world where all brands want to be publishers as well. Um, and I think to a certain extent it was right. I do think there was a deluge of crap. And we were lucky in that, A, Google got better at sorting the crap from the good. So it surfaced the best content for us as part of its search engine results. But also over time, you started to learn which content brands you could really trust. That would give you good content you know i think moz did a great job of of this content marketing institute etc you know in our marketing land um there are certainly companies in the life sciences that have done a good job of it as well but i think this just further goes to show seo is going to change if you're relying a lot on content on your website to drive a lot of traffic you need to start to be planning what you would do if you lost a load of that traffic either because you got content hacked like this example um or because f- people don't click on as many links in google search anymore and don't come to your website so how are you going to use podcasts how are you going to use video how are you going to use trends reports and primary research data that no one else has access to and only you can share that insight with the world how are you going to le- lean into your subject matter experts who know things about your industry that no one else knows that is going to become ever more critical i think mine
1: it is. And I think for content creators yourself, you, you, everybody's going to have to start asking themselves a question about what are their own ethical boundaries? Like, how far are you prepared to go? Because, yeah, you will see results by completely ripping off other people's content and making it your own. In fact, when GPTs were announced by OpenAI recently, if you went on YouTube and searched, how to create a, a GPT. There were loads of videos of people saying, basically, find a publisher that you like their content, download it, rip it off, and upload it as if it's your own, and now you've just created an expert bot with subject matter expertise about that thing that that other publisher wrote about, and you can pass it off as your own. And this was rife. Um, and we all have to, to say, well, where are, where are our boundaries?
0: I'm nervous about how that will play out because I think I think the 1% will will cause carnage and it will get draconian changes by search engines like Google that penalize people who are actually producing valuable content potentially and copyright lo- you know laws and infringements and you know let's imagine that the entire G- GPT infrastructure becomes really valuable I'm not sure it is at the moment but let's say it did Um, and people are then doing this, then what OpenAI will have to take the entire GPT marketplace down while they figure out how to navigate whatever legal and copyright issues they have to solve for, which will mean that a bunch of useful tools that people rely on, they can no longer access. But again, because the 1% are trying to think about clever, dare I say it, slightly underhand ways to make a quick buck. But and I think that will happen because the history of humanity, unfortunately, does suggest it will happen. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, I, uh... That's a
0: slightly negative note. Let's talk about something positive and super <laughs> cool. Let's talk about Hey Gen because Hey Gen, we really love Hey Gen, don't we, Martin? We um. So if regular listeners to the podcast, you'll probably have heard us talk about Hey Gen before because it's an AI video startup that basically is extremely good at ai ai modified video so in other words what you can do is you can upload a video of yourself speaking Um, i think we did this on a recent podcast episode with you didn't we martin you upload a video of yourself speaking and it will overdub your voice in another language and then it will edit the video so that your mouth moves and lip syncs with the new translated voice so we've done it in german french spanish and it's impressive um well, they've just raised um, a load more money, 5.6 million, um, and launched their new near instant custom avatars. And why this is important is because previously, if you wanted to use HeyGen to create like a synthetic version of yourself, either for translations or to write scripts and then have the synthetic version of you speak your script so you didn't have to record the video yourself. It was a fairly laborious process of recording five minutes of video in, you know, borderline professional studio environment. But they've been able to tweak their algorithm now so that it's now able to do this with far less production level video. They claim you can record yourself on a mobile phone and still get a reasonably good result, for example. And Martin and I have been like wanting to play with this, but just haven't had the resource to go record ourselves in a professional studio environment and of course now we and all of you dear listeners can can jump in and go have a play with that as well and it's really impressive because when you watch the the synthetic version of you talk it's you it follows the same mannerisms and movements that you have and it really does deep fake your mouth movements surprisingly well and you can certainly imagine martin a world where You can add videos to your site that where you write the script and then Hey Jen creates this synthetic version of you that looks just like you as a great use case. And as I was talking about with a, a bunch of people yesterday, sending out prospecting sales emails with custom sales videos at scale because GPT-4 will write the scripts and then Hey Jen will turn the scripts into videos of you speaking. So Hey Jen, we've been like excited about them for a while, but I think this sort of they're, they're now their technological change here. I think is going to open this up and make it much wider for a lot more people to start playing with it. What are your thoughts, mine?
1: Very much. So the interface is so simple. If it, it, I encourage anyone that's not tried it yet, just go over to the HeyGen website and, and give it a go. It, there's no, there's no complication to it. It's remarkably simple. I recorded a video of myself in front of my webcam and translated that into French and it's it's brilliant. I, I did it in front of a conference this week and people there described it as a wow moment as they saw my English video immediately turned into uh, French. And I sent that video to my French neighbor and he was blown away. It sounds like you. It looks like you. It's incredible. I don't know if you um, have played around with many TikTok filters. Have you given them a go?
0: I'm not a big TikTok user, I have to admit.
1: They are incredible, right? So there's like a beautify one, which will make you younger or make you dolled up, give you a glow up, what have you. I wondered why you were looking so good. Yeah, they are impressive. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, these, these filters are, are really impressive because actually, if you put your hand in front of your face, like when like i've got a virtual background now and it's doing a pretty good job of not showing showing my background if you put your hand in front of your face the image stays the same there's no like um glitchy artifacts yeah there's yeah. no glitchiness there it just it just does a really good job and HeyGen seems to have the same capability that really reduces the 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 glitchiness and it's it was interesting to me that i saw the um the founders come from a background at snap and uh tiktok so right. they're both from the video ar augmented reality vr landscape which explains why they've got probably such a good uh tech stack that enables them to to do what they're doing
0: yeah that's really interesting cuz obviously the market for those types of tiktok filters is massive because basically all tiktok users but the business applications that we just went through are not insignificant and probably an easier place to make money, dare I say. so it seems like a really smart move from them and I'm I guess the the downside of this would be what what stops someone from taking a video of me <laughs> from like a webinar and then using that to train the model and then signing the consent statement on my behalf and then starting producing videos of me
1: saying things I shouldn't be saying. I mean, it's the deep fake discussion, right? We had this deep fake discussion when uh, Obama was president. This is something that has been in the landscape for a long time. It's just that these tools are becoming kind of commercially accessible at a consumer level. You don't have to be techie to train the model. Mm. Uh, You can, you can spend like $25 a month and, do it yourself
0: yeah i do think i do think that is the critical piece They're, they are impressive i threw an, a very difficult video um from the podcast where i moved a lot while i was talking and i turn my head around like to the side and it did a surprisingly good job of making the lip synced mouth movements still look accurate you can tell the video i gave it wasn't particularly well lit either so i think you can tell um but on the best examples i've seen it's really hard to tell so if you're a marketer or if you're a bd person you listen to this RevOps, maybe um what how could you use this technology to drive efficiencies and new ways of working new ways of adding value hopefully for customers not just spamming them um using technologies like these because i think 2023 was the year of sort of chat gpt and text generation but i really think 2024 is going to be the year of synthetic audio and synthetic video and i think we're going to see crazy pace in this area so as marketers i really think we need to be thinking about how does this influence what we do how we work and all that good stuff
1: the big thing here is about latency so with the trans- Translation app on Hey Jen, you have to upload the video, give it the target language that you want it translating in, and it does some processing in the background. It takes a few minutes and you get an email notification telling you uh, that it's been done. When that time to translate is reduced from minutes to milliseconds, that is where we're gonna see some serious business applications which leads us neatly into our next story, Stable Diffusion XL Turbo, the launch of real-time AI image generation. So Stability AI has unveiled uh, its latest breakthrough, which is a turbo model of Stable Diffusion XL, and it's very impressive. Um, You can just type in what you want, and rather than hitting enter and it generates the image, While you are typing, the image is generating before your eyes. It's generating in real time. So uh, Stable Diffusion XL Turbo's key advancement is its single step image output capability, which is significantly more efficient than the 20 to 50 steps required by its predecessor. So what happened previously was you would put in your your prompt, and then it would run through between 20 and 50 steps. So it would basically diffuse the image 20 or 50 times, one after another sequentially. Now it does this in a single step. So this leap in the, uh, the technology is attributed to a technique called adversarial diffusion distillation, ADD, which refines the model's ability to distinguish between real and generated images and uh, therefore uh, enhances the realism and the output. So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's available on... Oh, now I've forgotten the name of the website, Paul. Remind me.
0: Oh, is it is it Krea? K-R-E-A?
1: Yes. It's available to try uh, online. The demos are, um, are, are very cool. However, one thing to note for anyone that does want to go about using this is that the, it, it's available under a non-commercial research license um, and Stability AI is, and it is currently expressing interest in exploring commercial applications. You can see this having a bunch of applications for um, storytelling apps, game development, uh, any kind of creative, um, interactive user interface. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I think it's it's very cool. What did you think of the the demos?
0: Yeah, so uh, to be fair, I don't know for sure that the Korea app uses it. I mean, it touts it as a sort of feature. Is this sort of near real-time image generation. So I don't know of any other model that enables this. So I assume there's some sort of underlying partnership there. But that is an assumption um i think it's really i think it's a really good example of how the technology advances in ways that we don't expect so one of the things we've all looked at on the surface as marketers is our ability to generate images and that the images will be of high quality but of course the researchers in the background are realizing that these images take a while to to develop and so they're looking to optimize how the models work so firstly, when you're playing with the demo, it's quite fun because your ability to influence the image output in real time is interesting. And you do that, at least in Korea, by you have an original prompt that creates your image and that's on the right hand side. And on the left hand side, you can use like pen and shape tools to influence the image with different colors and different sort of components. So the example when you boot up is a, I think it's like a blue square and then it's got a smaller pink square on top of it. And, what the, and the prompt is uh, I think a frog sat on top of a blue mushroom or something like that and the squares directly dictate where in the image those things should actually be and of course you can move the squares around and the image updates in near real time so it does give you much more control over how the image is being generated. I think the other thing to reflect on here is near real-time image generation is a big step up from what we've had so far, where it might take five or ten seconds to to, um, get your image, which is like, what, ten, hundred times faster? The next step from here is real-time image generation at video level. right? Once we get down to 24 images a second instead of one image a second, we're now creating video, so you can imagine, and I've seen a few examples online—not quite 24 frames a second, but not you know, but but moving image, what the the equivalent of like low frame rate video, of people generating images in real time to create videos. So you you mentioned game development, but also there's so many applications like I've heard described, and I don't know how likely this is going to be, but the equivalent of having Netflix create an animated video movie for you in real time based on feedback that you're giving how you want the story to develop. Well, this is the type of technological change that we would need to enable those types of things. So I think there's implications today for how marketers are creating images and the level of control they want and the speed of being able to influence the image, iterate, 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 but also those future ramifications of what does this mean for creating video on demand um, and shaping that video in near real time—that would be kind of cool. All so, right, let's get on to our next story then, Martin. It's in the video realm as well. It's from Pika Labs, which blew up on the Twitter sphere this week. Um, they've raised a ton of cash—55 million dollars—and uh, they are chucking themselves right in the mix to compete with the likes of Runway and Stability AI that we just talked about. Stability AI has its text-to-video generator now that you can play with on a variety of—I um, think—hugging face. Models that you can go play with for free and Runway ML, we've talked about a lot on the podcast has its cool video generation features, not least the uh, the motion brush that we've talked about recently where you draw on a bit of an image and only that bit of the image animates. What's different about Pika 1.0 is that its text to video looks extremely impressive. In the demo video like really high quality video there's an example i think where it's it might be elon musk going up into space or something similar in a cartoon style and it looks like i don't know like a pixar animation like it doesn't look kind of like weird diffusion effects or a bit crappy like a lot of the other examples that we've seen um they already have a bunch of users, but it really sounds like this next leap in their technology is going to be significant. I'm on the waiting list. I think they're starting to um, open up the waiting list on Monday, Martin. So we shall see um, what it does when we can get access to it. So, yeah, if you haven't checked it out, I think it's worth getting on the Twitter spheres or searching Google for Pika and just watch that demo video. Because if they can even do three quarters of what that demo video suggests, it's going to be significantly impressive um it, it i think is you can even like update your prompt to say no no i wanted the robot in my animation to do this instead of this and then it will change it for you so i guess the caveat here martin based on previous experiences demo videos that we see from the companies are usually rather awesome and then when you play with it yourself you struggle to get the same sort
1: of um output um have you had a look at the peak of video what have your thoughts been i i wholeheartedly agree it's a demo video that looks fantastic but i've seen demo videos that look fantastic previously and i've not been able to generate anything even close to them so we uh we will wait with bated breath to see whether or not it's actually as easy to get outputs of the quality that they're generating um i still can't get runway uh, to give me anything half decent i was playing with motion brush last week um trying to make some very small edits I was trying to make somebody um, just I thought maybe I could just get somebody to smile it was a portrait image and their head just kind of floats up off the screen Um, so it's very good for getting things like clouds to move in the sky um, or water moving if but um, yeah the motion brush tends to when you set it in a direction it keeps things going so people's heads just to morph off off the video entirely so we'll yeah we'll see how easy it is to use pika compared to the demo videos i I, i'm sure these technologies well they are the worst they're ever going to be right now they're Mm. only going to get better from here so the fact that somebody can make them do cool things like this suggests that in the future they'll get it to the point where we can all make cool things like their demo video
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to assume... um, One of the things I think about in this area a lot is if we've got a tool like GPT-4 Vision, which can analyse certainly frames in videos and, and images themselves and describe what's going on, why don't we have a dually three-level video generator that's creating a video that's being checked in real time by GPT-4 Vision to make sure that it's not junk and doing some weird stuff like someone's head floating away that's clearly not going to be the intention from the prompt, and therefore able to course correct its own output. We There doesn't seem to be, at least in my understanding of how all the models work, that much recursiveness in how they produce stuff at the moment, and it just seems to the completely untrained person that I am that that would be a really powerful way to improve the outputs i don't know if that's how a lot of these improvements that we're seeing are being made i don't know if that's the type of thing that um they're trying to bake in but it does seem that's my hope is that you almost have multiple models working on a project together where they have different skills and then they can just like one feeds back to the other to go no i think you might have drifted in the wrong direction
1: here exactly as we've just described in the stable diffusion xl turbo where they've got the adversarial diffusion distillation right that's exactly as you've just described and they don't have that in the video realm yet at all so it won't be long i'm sure they'll they'll borrow these techniques soon I enough think
0: you're right should we talk music for a bit
1: yeah going back to um to stability ai they've uh, announced some updates to stable audio um and since we last discussed stable audio on the podcast It has uh, been celebrated as one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2023. Um, So stable audio, for those who missed the previous discussion about it, is a text to audio generator. So you can describe the the audio style, the rhythm, the BPM, all of that kind of stuff. And then it will generate an audio track and you can use these tracks commercially uh, in your own projects. But they've now uh, pushed the first real big set of updates for the product since it was launched, including input audio. So you can now actually, in the same way that you can have a seed image for a text to image, you can provide seed audio. So tracks that you've previously generated, you can input that and say, use this as the kind of starting point, which allows for more nuanced and personalized uh, edits building upon existing creations there's now a new set of um of editing parameters so you can have control over the seed um, the number of steps so as we spoke about with stable diffusion um, it goes through a number of steps behind the scenes to create the output the more steps you allow the ai to run through generally speaking the better quality the output so if you increase the number of steps you'll get nicer quality audio closer to what you asked for in the prompt you can also increase the prompt strength so how closely it sticks to what you've put in the prompt and also adjusting the number of generations as well so it will give you more than just one generation from an input Uh, there's some improvements to collaboration so you can now add share links uh, just allowing you to send your creations to other people for distribution and collaboration. Um, another neat feature is the download as video as well. Um, so you can export your audio as a, a video file. And there is a prompt library, which for someone like me, who doesn't have any kind of uh, musical creation, you know, I'm not a musician at all. I don't have a, a single musical bone in my body um that can be really helpful because sometimes I might broadly know what kind of audio I'm looking for um but I can't really articulate it i'm not I'm, I'm not technical from a you know I've never done music production so having a prompt library there is you know is is useful yeah this is quite cool i sometimes
0: when I talk about um generative AI for music when I'm out and about I sometimes wonder how is this the most applicable for marketers and the way i think about a lot of this stuff is there's a lot of decent stock um sort of websites out and about like um audio jungle and you know theme forest but I think if you want your images to stand out and not just look like the stock photos that everyone else is using, that's where a tool like Midjourney or Doodly 3 comes in because you can really generate something that is unique for you. And I think this is the case for the for music as well, right? If you want like little intro jingles for your branded videos and you want you don't want to use something that you know could be used by someone else because you've just bought it for $15 on or well... This is a great way to do that. And the more powerful they get, the more control we're going to have over getting just the right output that we want. With all these things, generative AI is about getting it approximately what you were asking for, not exactly what you were asking for. And I think these tweaks to how the models work and the parameters you can change is definitely going to give people more control. But of course, in terms of absolute five control of a music producer, of course, not quite there yet. But um, but yeah, I think it's... I think it's amazing to see all the different realms. Text, image, video, everything is um, audio, music, everything is sprinting along all at the same time. Right, a couple more stories to whip through. Um, The first one here is from Meta AI's research division, which have unveiled the um, groundbreaking achievement they've made with Cicero, which is the first AI capable of playing the strategy game Diplomacy at a Human Level. So... Diplomacy is a tough game to play because you need to negotiate, cooperate and plan with other humans. And it's like it's very kind of diplomatic, as the name would suggest, and quite complex and very human, really. Um, So to be able to create an AI that can play the game well is really impressive. The reason it can do it is because of its ability to combine advanced strategic reasoning with natural language processing. Right, it can think ahead to a certain extent, and it can also understand the nuances of what the other players are doing, and what they're asking for, and what they're saying. So the Cicero played online uh, on WebDiplomacy.net and was able to outperform. Uh, average human scores but also ranked in the top 10% of players which is kind of mental we've talked about AlphaGo haven't we on the podcast and that's a rather impressive feat because it's such a complicated game
1: but this is such a human game Martin Mm, yeah this is so different Now AlphaGo was complex because of the number of permutations on the board Uh, this is different because it's about negotiation it's about understanding uh, incentives, rewards, um punishment, you know things like well human psychology, right? like loss aversion, human strategy, power, influence, all of these things and and it's managed to score in the top ten percent of players. that's um that's that's scary, but all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay well if chat GPT with Gpt four, scores in the top 10 percent of humans that sit the bar exam so for legal professionals in america if i can take that capability and combine it with this new cicero ai then you know it sounds like i've got a legal dream team on my hands there it's
0: super interesting so sam altman um's formerly and now currently CEO (laughs) of uh, OpenAI, said in at the end of October, so only a month ago on Twitter, uh, I expect AI to be capable of superhuman persuasion well before it is superhuman at general intelligence, which may lead to some very strange outcomes. And I think having AI being good at a game like Diplomacy is an absolute indication of that, right? It might be that before it is solving... um, climate change and helping us develop new medicines it is taking part in negotiating contracts and getting um, rebates and maybe acting in courts of law right because of its ability to understand how humans communicate and how to leverage that to to persuade
1: Uh, who knows before long it could be operating at a geopolitical level it will be uh, leading and chairing debates in the UN chamber who knows it's
0: kind of mad isn't it um right let's uh last story
1: then for this week Martin. yeah so this is uh revisiting a story that we had on the podcast uh recently so we recently covered the case where some visual artists were taking action against uh ai image generation companies such as stability ai, AI mid-journey and runway and the crux of the case uh was that there was an alleged misuse of artist's work to train these generative AI systems. But last time we covered the case, um, there was basically a partial dismissal by the US District Court, uh, which basically said that the, the artist's initial arguments were, were not strong enough and didn't really apply to this copyright law but they maintained the core claim concerning AI training processes violating artists' rights. Well, now the artists have come back because I think last time uh, three of the, the arguments were thrown out, but the one was allowed to remain. In the amended complaint, um, the seven new artists have basically been, uh, they, they've said that their rights have been impinged because now if you search for their name in Google, it isn't their work that comes up. It's the AI-generated work that comes up first. And this is what's forming the basis of their new case because they're saying there is real, that they're, they're evidencing now that there is real commercial harm. That's so funny. So it's not the... F- Obviously, they complained about the first order consequences, which are quite
0: understandable. But this is a second order consequence where all of the buzz and the news around this ends up ranking highly on Google, more highly than their actual original work. Yep. Complicated.
1: Yeah. So this is definitely one to keep an eye out. Uh, I keep an eye on. Sorry. Where this ends up, who knows? But we're starting to see some of the more interesting legal arguments now okay it was trained on your work but it's not completely derivative of your work but now when people search for the artist's name people's ai generated work in the style of that artist is outranking the actual artist so therefore we can see that there is genuine commercial harm oh it's it's this
0: is There's a changing problem though surely right like doesn't google need to figure out how to make some sort of update that allows people to know here's the original artist front and center if you're looking for that and if you're looking for derivatives they come lower down the page i feel like there could be a technical solution to this but a little bit like you know the right to be forgotten in the uh, in the eu where you can basically contact google and ask that basically certain um, searches search results about you are not shown anymore i would have to hope that they can solve this like this but clearly it's um helping to underpin a more substantial claim in terms of uh, damages etc so that's probably why they haven't leaned so much into what might be a practical solution versus a um the solution they've opted for i'm not familiar with the case not a lawyer so this is just my opinion but um yeah it's still the wild west but we are starting to see it coalesce a little bit in terms of the approaches that people are taking and then the counter approaches that these companies are taking to avoid being held liable for any sort of copyright or um, commercial damages
1: many twists and turns ahead i'm sure
0: i think you may be right on that one martin um one thing that we should say is that that's the end of the episode thank you so much everyone for sticking with us we hope you find this useful we've got another interview for next week's episode for the so the uh, eagle eared eagle eyed eagle somethings of you will have noticed that to a certain extent we've found a new cadence martin and i where we have a discussion like this uh uh, on week one and then on week two we may have uh, an in-depth interview with a subject matter expert in the field of ai and technology for marketers and sales folk to use so we have another interview next week but we will be back with you the week after to dive into all the new technologies new stories tools and stuff that we learn about during that period thanks so much for your time Martin. look forward to speaking with you soon cheers paul thank you for listening to artificially Intelligent Marketing to stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, be sure to subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.